Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. There are good things ahead here in Rhode Island as we hatch safe and creative ways to keep in touch with our members. Get the latest sightings and birding related events, whether they're in person or virtual. Find us on Facebook and online at OceanStateBirdClub.org Ocean State Bird Club Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 786. Well, last week's show, we mentioned National Audubon's Let's Go Birding Together series in celebration of Pride Month. And we saluted New York Audubon for creating some great events for this LGBTQ initiative. And that salute remains in full force, even as we've since learned that the Let's Go Birding Together series was founded and organized by Jason Sansauve at the Spring Creek Prairie Audubon Center in Denton, Nebraska. Now, if you're listening to our show live here on the 28th of June, you'd maybe like to know that Spring Creek Audubon is hosting a Let's Go Birding Together virtual bird walk and brunch today at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central. Walk at 10, brunch at 11, and since it's virtual, you can take part in it wherever you are. And you'll find details about that on our Facebook page. And if you're not listening live, that's okay, too, because the first portion of the Nature Walk on the Prairie will be available on Spring Creek Prairie's Facebook page as a video after the live event. That hatching sound could only mean one thing. But what is that one thing? I believe it's our... It's our book nest with Susan Edwards-Richmond. Over the past couple of months now, we've had a chance to learn about some wonderful bird books. Thanks to Susan, and we're going to hear about a couple of new bird books this morning. Susan is the author of the Parents' Choice Silver award-winning picture book, Bird Count, a book nominated by the Association for Library Service to Children as a 2020 notable children's book and an award-winning poet she is, and a teacher at Massachusetts Audubon's Drumlin Farm Community Preschool. And she's with us this morning to tell us what's hatching in the Talking Birds book. Nest, good morning, Susan. Good morning, Ray. Hi, everybody. Great to have you again back with us, Susan. And finally, some books for those of us who have kind of a short reading attention span. Um, Lolly's Feather and A Perfect Day. Tell us about Lolly's Feather maybe first, Susan. Yeah, well, I thought this was a, a fun time for a summer treat. Uh, we've done a variety of books about birds, but here I thought we have a couple of books with actual talking birds. So <laughs> these birds talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so Lolly's Feather um, is written by Farhana Zia, and it's illustrated by Stephanie Pfizer Coleman. And uh, Stephanie is the illustrator of my book, Bird Count, so I can be forgiven for kind of being on the lookout for her next <laughs> project involving birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in Lolly's Feather, she's just done it again with charming artwork of a particularly engaging group of feathered friends and the beautiful child that they, uh, that they befriend and interact with. Hmm. So the, the, the basic plot is that she finds a feather in a field and she goes on a quest to find out who it belongs to. Uh-huh. So she meets a number of birds along the way. Is it rooster? 
Is it crow, pheasant, hmm. hen, duck, blue jay? Mm. So each bird claims its own special property for their own feathers. But where does that leave Lolly with her plain feather? Well, soon she's very creative and she learns all the fun things that a feather can do, including bringing joy to herself and her newly acquired friends. Sounds like the making of A Perfect Day, which is the other book here we're (laughs) talking about, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So my next choice is A Perfect Day, another book that I'm very closely connected to. Um, Sarah Brannan is the author and the illustrator, and as a member of my writing and illustrating critique group, um, we've had a chance to see these wonderfully endearing characters grow from ideas into fully-fledged personalities. So we've got, uh, we've got a glass-half-full kind of gull and a crab who's, uh, well, he's kind of crabby. Crabby, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> they have this bantering relationship um, where they, uh, they have this give and take that we can't take for granted these days where two friends can agree to disagree. So they, uh, in this case, it's the question of, is the day perfect or isn't it? Hmm. So they go back and forth. And Sarah, her spare poetic prose um, is illustrated by this gorgeous palette that will just make you feel you've, you've waded straight into a cool, refreshing sea. <laughs> and at the end, there's a bit of a surprise as you hmm. see who weighs in on this question of whether the day is perfect or not. All right, and it's all done in about 90 words, I think you said. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's very spare um, because the illustrations, she, she does both, and the illustrations tell a good part of the story, which is what a perfect picture book does. Mm-hmm. And these are both for kids, what, three to seven, really young birds. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But they're, I, they're wonderful for whole families to mm-hmm. enjoy and uh, just perfect for the season getting outdoors mm-hmm. and uh, today it was inspired by a game that, that Sarah remembers playing with her mother and uh, this idea of is the day perfect well it's not quite perfect and after you read the book you'll you'll see this you'll see how the game works and maybe it will become a favorite in your own family as well right. so these books are um, Lolly's feather is already available um, Sarah's is about to debut the launch in one week, but the books are available to pre-order now, and I hear to one lucky winner as a special prize in our Mystery Bird giveaway today. I heard that too, yes. We're going to have that as a bonus prize this morning. Sounds great. And that's what's hatching this morning in our Talking Birds Book Nest with Susan Edwards Richmond. Find out more about her at SusanEdwardsRichmond.com Thank you, Susan. We'll hatch uh, more in the Book Nest soon. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye-bye. All right. Coming up next here, it's this. It's a preview of our mystery bird contest. The bird sounds sort of familiar to me, but not not quite somehow. Our mystery bird is a tiny, handsome, social inhabitant of dense coniferous forests of the Pacific Coast. From central California up into Alaska, it has chestnut-brown coloring, On its flanks, back, and rump, its cap and throat are black, and it has a white cheek patch. The uh, central California birds are a little different than some of the others with gray flanks instead of brown. Our bird, which feeds mostly on insects, isn't really migratory, although some individuals move higher into the mountains in late 
summer. So a preview of our Mystery Bird Contest. We have beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees. A beautiful feeder from Droll Yankees, plus the LarkWire app that makes learning bird sounds a game. A bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee as well. And, as Susan mentioned, an autographed copy of Sarah Brannan's wonderful book for young children. A perfect day, all coming up on our Mystery Bird Contest. Some of the things, uh, stories and videos and such uh, right now on our beautiful new TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page. An expert photographer weighs in on bird photography ethics. That's from our friends at Birdwatching Magazine. We'll connect you to another Nest Cam. This one is extra special. It's at the nest of a white-tailed tropic bird on Nonsuch Island the eastern end of Bermuda. And we'll also link you to a fabulous new article by our Mike O'Connor about a birding trip that required practically no traveling at all, just some navigation of a scary staircase. Some of the things you'll find uh, right about now on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it is three thank yous this morning to three wonderful Talking Birds listeners who have joined our Ambassadors family, helping us get the word out about our show and about birds and conservation. And thank you to Jack Horton from Altamonte Springs, Florida. Thank you, Jack, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thanks for the really great red cockaded woodpecker photo, which is now visible on our Talking Birds Instagram page. So thanks for that, Jack, as well. What a great picture that is. Thank you to Paul D. from Watertown, Massachusetts. Paul is a new listener of the show and wasted no time in joining our ambassador's family. So thank you so much, Paul. And thank you to Doreen D. in Milton, Washington. Doreen says that as a West Coaster, she wishes there were a local version of Talking Birds. However, she does say she's enjoyed our show for the past month while she's been staying at home. Thank you, Doreen, for becoming an ambassador. And in your honor, you may have just heard, we have a West Coast species as today's mystery bird. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with one of the organizers of Black Birders Week. He's Jeffrey Ward, and he'll be with us in a few minutes. Plus, we'll catch up with that guy we mentioned a minute ago, Mike O'Connor, for Let's Ask Mike Live. Mike wants to talk about tree sap and dead bugs. That sounds pretty good. And up next, a bird whose categorization has sometimes proved elusive is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. It looks kind of like a mini meadowlark. It sounds a bit like its name, as we'll hear in a moment. And it wanders the west like whales. The outlawed Josie whales, that is. It's the dick sizzle. A stocky, sparrow-like bird with a brown back and rusty shoulders, a black V on the throat and a yellow breast. In the summer months, dick sizzles are most common in native prairies and restored grasslands, but they also nest in lightly grazed pastures and hayfields, 
and even along roadsides. They're common across the middle of the continent, although their erratic wanderings sometimes lead them to show up in pastures and fields all the way to the east coast. The Dixissel was once thought to be part of the New World Sparrow family or the Blackbird family, but is now included with cardinals in the Cardinality family. In breeding season, Dixissels eat both seeds and insects. During migration and winter, their diet consists almost exclusively of seeds, from buckwheat and grasses and crops like rice and sorghum. It's been said that a Dixissel can open and consume more than a dozen sorghum seeds in one minute. Like other grassland birds, Dixissels are under threat on their North American breeding grounds from changes in habitat, especially the large-scale conversion of native grasslands to agriculture. After a steep decline in the 60s and 70s, the Dixissel's population has leveled off despite the loss of grasslands in breeding territory. In some areas, increased availability of hayfields provides breeding habitat, but those fields are often mowed before nesting Dixissels have time to fledge their young. The greatest threat to Dixissels is on their wintering grounds in Venezuela. There, the birds are often regarded as pests as they eat large amounts of ripening grain crops. And since the 1960s, huge numbers of roosting Dixissels have died from the effects of nighttime pesticide spraying. There is good news in the form of things like Audubon, Arkansas's native project that provides training and income to farmers to encourage the growing of native grasses along with pollinator-friendly plants needed to restore the prairie habitat. The Dick Sissel, Spisa Americana. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again to our show number 786. We hope you'll check out our website. Find out more about our show at TalkinBirds.com. Jeffrey Ward is a birder, naturalist, and science communicator born and raised in the Bronx, New York. He's been birding for six years, but his love for animals began at a very young age with field guides and animal shows. His love for the natural world has put him on a mission to protect native birds and their habitats. Jeffrey's also one of the organizers of Black Birders Week. And he joins us on the phone right now, now from his new home in Lithonia, Georgia, to talk about that. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning. Great to have you with us, Jeffrey. I want to ask you about what has happened since Black Birders Week, but I wonder if you could tell us first about how that week came about, what the goal was. All right. Um, so uh, my brother, Jason Ward, uh, started a uh, group me group with because he wanted to uh he wanted to get black people in stem uh together and you know uh meeting each other um stem meaning science technology uh engineering and mathematics uh he called the group black af and the black af and stem collective um so we caught wind of the central park incident with christian cooper and it kind of hit us in a different way since we all have uh dealt with things like that mm -hmm. so we all put our heads together and created black birders week in less than 48 hours wow. um the it, we we made it aimed to amplify and bring visibility to uh black birders because for so long we were shown that the outdoors you know wasn't for us mm -hmm. uh so we just kind of wanted to show the world that we exist 
So Blackbirders Week definitely did get noticed, Jeffrey. What's the feeling about how it was received and what impact do you think it has had? Um, <laughs> the, the feedback was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so many people reached out to us, so many like uh, features in uh, magazines and, and different podcasts and mm-hmm. like the, the yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been wild. Wow. We heard a lot about recently about how uncomfortable black birders can be when out birding, as you've just uh, alluded to, especially uh, regarding Chris Cooper's experience in Central Park. I wonder if you could say yeah. what your experience has been like personally, Jeffrey, how you've dealt with it. Um, I've, I've had situations like uh, I'm out in this park uh, when I was living in the Bronx, New York, and I clearly have a camera and binoculars uh, around my neck and I'm followed by a cop car mm. in the park. Um, they stop by and ask me what I'm doing and I clearly am looking into a tree with binoculars. I don't think it's that hard to put two and two together, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's things like that, mm-hmm. that that we have to go through. And we've heard about people doing that with the binoculars, pur- purposely looking up so that it would be obviously uh-huh. obvious that you're a birder, but it didn't seem to even work in your in your case. <laughs> nope. I try to make sure that I always have my hands on my binoculars, like mm-hmm. just so people can know what I'm what I'm there doing. Wow. Well, you obviously too have a passion for the natural world, Jeffrey, and you mentioned your older brother Jason, who's a noted birder and kind of a TV star. Now, what was his his influence on you, if any? Um, yeah, so Jason started birding um, about a year before me, but he was uh, in Georgia and I was in New York. So he told me how how amazing Central Park, like whenever he mentions to people that he's from New York, they mention Central Park because it's this amazing, magical place. Mm-hmm. So um, he convinced me to walk through Central Park one day in 2013. I didn't, I didn't own binoculars or anything. Um, <laughs> ran into some people who was looking at a barred owl and they let me hold their binoculars. They let me look at it. And I was like, wow, like this is where I live. This owl is, <laughs> uh, you know, a few minutes away from where I live. So that just kind of like sparked everything in me. And that, and that was your spark bird, I guess, right? The, the, yes, the yes. Barred, barred owl. So uh, yes, it was. do you have a little friendly competition with your brother now that you're older? Um, yeah. So <laughs> when I was in New York and he was out here, um, we had this ongoing um, competition of who could see the most birds within a year. Mm. Um, it was about three years. Uh, we did this about three years in a row, and he kind of beat me all three years. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little bit harder to do that now since I'm in the same place as him, and we go uh, birding together a lot more. Mm-hmm. So we haven't been doing it. This, I mean, and, and, you know, uh, with what was going on earlier this year, kind of... Uh, everybody was kind of unable to get out and and go birding so Mm -hmm. uh we kind of skipped uh the competition for this year but next year the competition will be right back up pick it up again all right jeffrey ward is a birder naturalist and science communicator and one of the founders of black birders week and you can keep up with him on instagram at underscore jeffrey m ward and on twitter at jeffrey m ward without the underscore so that's underscore jeffrey m ward instagram and no underscore jeffrey m ward on twitter jeffrey thanks so much for being on with us and we'll look forward to keeping in touch thank you for having me
Coming up next here, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Our mystery bird contest is presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. That's our mystery bird. A tiny, handsome, social inhabitant, mostly of dense coniferous forests on the Pacific coast, from central California up into Alaska. It has chestnut brown coloring on its flanks, back, and rump. Its cap and throat are black, and it has a white cheek patch. Little different with the central California birds, gray instead of brown on the flanks. Our bird, which feeds mostly on insects, isn't really migratory, although some individuals move higher into the mountains in late summer. Clues and the sound of our mystery bird and beautiful prizes, including from Droll Yankees, the cute chickadee feeder, great for any type of food. It even lets you manage the size of the visiting bird you'd like to have on any particular day with its height-adjustable dome. And uh, it holds all kinds of things you could put in there. Sunflower seeds, mixed seed, fruit, or mealworms. Bonus prizes, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app that makes learning bird sounds a game. A 12-ounce bag of delicious shade-grown bird-friendly birds and beans coffee is another bonus prize. And one more, an autographed copy of Sarah Brennan's wonderful book for young children, a Perfect Day that we heard about with Susan Edwards Richmond just uh, a little while ago on this morning's show. 781-837-4900 is the number. And um, let's see, I believe we have Casey, who is um, in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Good morning, Casey. Hi, Ray. <laughs> Good to hear from you. Thanks for having me today. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for thanks for calling in from Brooklyn, so I wonder if you uh, frequent Central Park a little bit. Well, actually, Prospect Park is a little bit closer to home for me, uh, and okay. I tell you, it was an absolutely spectacular spring this year, one of a kind. Ah, uh, wow. Um, hold on one second here. I'm just, I'm just thinking that we, we've gotten mm-hmm. off, uh, off sequence here a little bit. We, we, I don't know how this happened, but uh, Mike O'Connor <laughs> is saying, what, what happened? Did you forget about me? Because um, we usually do the Mike O'Connor, and then we do the Mystery Bird Contest. So uh, I'm trying to think if I could blame this on Jesse, but I don't think that's uh, going to work. So we'll just keep going this way, and uh, we'll figure this out somehow. Um, okay, so Mystery Bird Contest. Let's see, did you give your guess yet? I can't remember. 
Well, my no. guess is the chestnut-backed chickadee. <laughs> chestnut. And obviously the last thing I want is for Mike O'Connor to be mad at me. Oh, yeah, you don't want that. That can be really nasty. <laughs> chestnut-backed chickadee is absolutely right. Okay. Uh, Casey, thanks for enduring the confusion here and for calling in. And just for that, you're the winner of our mystery bird contest. And um, sometimes I will say, well, we have time for a bonus question, but I don't really know if we have time for a bonus question or not, uh, since we're doing things out of sequence here. So maybe we'd better skip that for now. There was no prize anyway. That sounds great, Ray. Thanks so much. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Casey. Casey there in Brooklyn, New York, correctly identifying the chestnut-backed chickadee as our mystery bird. Okay. Let's see now. What should we do now? Should we do this little message of importance? And then we'll uh, check in with with Mike O'Connor for Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds. We're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. I am Stephanie Garrett and I'm from Westford, Massachusetts. I teach grade six ELA at Mill Pond School in West Mass. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador uh, because my feeling is it's really important to get younger kids involved in the art and the hobby of bird watching. I think the more connected kids are to nature and birds, the more they're apt to protect nature. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at talkingbirds.com. Join today and thanks. It's our slightly out of sequence. Let's ask Mike live report from Mike O'Connor down at the famous Bird Watchers General Store in Cape Cod. I wonder if I could blame it on Mike that we're out of sequence here. I don't think it's going to go for that. And we don't want you to get mad at us. You just heard what Casey said about that. Yeah, it's all, it, 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 you know, it's the virus. Everything's nuts right now, right? Don't worry about it. Yeah, not only that, but now we've smeared dead bugs and sap all over the place here. and <laughs> It's just... It's just a mess. Right. It's come to that. We mentioned exactly. About, we, we mentioned about your your going down those long stairs and seeing these birds there, and one of them was uh, the red-breasted nuthatch, I think. But you want to talk about what these birds do to protect their nest cavities from uh, predators, right? And then and the red-breasted nuthatches and white-breasted nuthatches have a couple of different techniques there. Correct, and you mentioned earlier you had a photograph, uh, you're posting a photograph of a red carcated woodpecker, a southern woodpecker, that nests in in live trees, and then below their nesting cavity entrance, they'll tap little sap wells that'll allow the sap to run out, and the theory is that keeps predators, especially snakes, from climbing up and getting into there, which sounds creepy altogether, Mm. but coming up the hole. But these are live trees, and these birds just tap holes. Red-breasted nuthatches dig out their own holes, but they usually use dead trees because they're softer and they can dig them out. So there's no sap in dead trees. So these little guys will go out and find sap and then fly back with it in their beak mm-hmm. and then actually smear it around the, the cavity entrance. And they're one of the few birds that will actually use tools. They'll go out mm-hmm. and take a flake of bark and, again, uh, maybe dip in the sap or scrape up some sap 
and then apply it uh, on the outside. And again, the thought is, and Tesla kind of bore it out that predators are less likely to bother them where mm. they're sticky on the outside, and the birds are clever because they're nuthatches that come in from all directions or fly directly in and avoid the sap themselves. And and I had never I'd read that you know how you read stuff and then you forget about it. Well, I was went down these awful stairs and found this <laughs> runhatch making a nest. And I was watching him. And next time, day I, when I showed up, it was all this sap, just like the book said. So apparently, the books tell the truth sometimes because wow. was there it was. <laughs> and the cousins, the white breasts and nuthatches don't use sap, but they'll use bugs. They'll take uh, blister beetles and smear that on the outside because. Apparently, this gives an awful smell out and things like chipmunks and squirrels are less likely to mess with that. Well, it all sounds very appetizing here at breakfast, but uh, anyway, good, <laughs> yeah. to, good to know like about that. today with a nice sap and blister beetle story. Mike, thanks for being with us, even if it's out of sequence, and we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. We are Thank out you. of time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please be with us next week. Two weeks from today, we have a very exciting announcement. And thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, Special Assistant Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. There are good things ahead here in Rhode Island as we hatch safe and creative ways to keep in touch with our members. Get the latest sightings and birding related events, whether they're in person or virtual. Find us on Facebook and online at OceanStateBirdClub.org Ocean State Bird Club.